Chapter Six of Jill the Reckless by P. G. Woodhouse. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Uncle Chris bangs the table. One. A taxicab stopped at the door of number twenty two Ovingdon Square. Freddie Rook emerged, followed by Jill. While Freddie paid the driver, Jill sniffed the afternoon air happily. It had turned into a delightful day. A westerly breeze springing up in the morning had sent the thermometer up with a run and broken the cold spell which had been gripping London. It was one of those afternoons which intrude on the bleakness of winter with a false but nonetheless agreeable intimation that spring is on its way. The sidewalks were wet underfoot, and the gutters ran with thawed snow. The sun shone exhilaratingly from a sky the color of a hedge sparrow's egg. "'Doesn't everything smell lovely, Freddy?' said Jill. "'After our prison life?' "'Topping!' "'Fancy getting out so quickly. Whenever I'm arrested, I must always make a point of having a rich man with me. I shall never tease you about that fifty-pound note again.' fifty-pound note it certainly came in handy to-day she was opening the door with her latch-key and missed the sudden sagging of freddy's jaw the sudden clutch at his breast-pocket and the look of horror and anguish that started into his eyes freddy was appalled finding himself at the police station penniless with the exception of a little loose change he had sent that message to derrick imploring assistance as the only alternative to spending the night in a cell with jill in another he had realized that there was a risk of Derek taking the matter hardly, and he had not wanted to get Jill into trouble, but there seemed nothing else to do. If they remained where they were overnight, the thing would get into the papers, and that would be a thousand times worse. And if he applied for aid to Ronnie Devereux or Algy Martin or anybody like that, all London would know about it next day. So Freddy, with misgivings, had sent the message to Derek and now Jill's words had reminded him that there was no need to have done so. Years ago he had read somewhere, or heard somewhere, about some chappie who always buzzed around with a sizable banknote stitched into his clothes, and the scheme had seemed to him ripe to a degree. You never knew when you might find yourself short of cash and faced by an immediate call for the ready. He had followed the chappie's example, and now, when the crisis had arrived, he had forgotten, absolutely forgotten, that he had the dashed thing on his person at all. He followed Jill into the house, groaning in spirit, but thankful that she had taken it for granted that he had secured their release in the manner indicated. He did not propose to disillusion her. It would be time enough to take the blame when the blame came along. Probably old Derek would simply be amused and laugh at the whole bally affair like a sportsman. Freddy cheered up considerably at the thought. Jill was talking to the parlour-maid, whose head had popped up over the banisters flanking the stairs that led to the kitchen. "'Major Selby hasn't arrived yet, miss.' "'That's odd. I suppose he must have taken a later train.' "'There's a lady in the drawing-room, miss, waiting to see him. She didn't give any name. She said she would wait till the Major came.' She's been waiting a goodish while. All right, Jane, thanks. Will you bring up tea? They walked down the hall. The drawing-room was on the ground floor, a long, dim room that would have looked like a converted studio but for the absence of bright light. A girl was sitting at the far end by the fireplace. She rose as they entered. How do you do? said Jill. 
I'm afraid my uncle has not come back yet. Say, cried the visitor, you did get out quick. Jill was surprised. She had no recollection of ever having seen the other before. Her visitor was a rather pretty girl, with a sort of jaunty way of carrying herself which made a piquant contrast to her tired eyes and wistful face. Jill took an immediate liking to her. She looked so forlorn and pathetic. "'My name's Nellie Bryant,' said the girl. "'That parrot belongs to me.' "'Oh, I see.' "'I heard you say to the cop that you lived here, so I came along to tell your folks what had happened, so that they could do something. The mate said that your uncle was expected any minute, so I waited.' "'That was awfully good of you.' "'Dashed good,' said Freddy. "'Oh, no, honest, I didn't know how to thank you for what you did. You don't know what a pal Bill is to me. It would have broken me all up if that plug-ugly had killed him.' "'But what a shame you had to wait so long.' "'I liked it.' Nellie Bryant looked about the room wistfully. This was the sort of room she sometimes dreamed about. She loved its subdued light and the pulpy cushions on the sofa." "'You'll have some tea before you go, won't you?' said Jill, switching on the lights. "'It's very kind of you.' "'Why, hello,' said Freddy. "'By Jove, I say, we've met before, what?' "'Why, so we have. "'That lunch at Oddie's that young Threepwood gave, what?' "'I wonder you remember.' "'Oh, I remember. Quite a time ago, eh? "'Miss Bryant was in that show. "'Follow the girl, Jill, at the Regal.' "'Oh, yes, I remember. You took me to see it.' "'Dashed odd meeting again like this,' said Freddy. "'Really rummy.' Jane, the parlour-maid, entered with tea, interrupting his comments. "'You're American, then,' said Jill, interested. "'The whole company came from New York, didn't they?' "'Yes.' "'I'm half American myself, you know. I used to live in New York when I was very small, but I've almost forgotten what it was like. I remember a sort of overhead railway that made an awful noise.' "'The elevated,' murmured Nellie devoutly. A wave of homesickness seemed to choke her for a moment. "'And the air, like champagne, and a very blue sky.' "'Yes,' said Nelly in a small voice. "'I shouldn't mind half-popping over to New York for a bit,' said Freddy, unconscious of the agony he was inflicting. "'I've met some very sound sportsmen who came from there. You don't know a fellow named Williamson, do you?' "'I don't believe I do.' "'Or Oakes?' "'No.' "'That's rummy. Oakes has lived in New York for years.' "'So have about seven million other people,' interposed Jill. "'Don't be silly, Freddy. How would you like somebody to ask you if you knew a man named Jenkins in London?' "'I do know a man named Jenkins in London,' replied Freddy, triumphantly. Jill poured out a cup of tea for her visitor and looked at the clock. "'I wonder where Uncle Chris has got to,' she said. "'He ought to be here by now. I hope he hasn't got into any mischief among the wild stockbrokers down at Brighton.' Freddy laid down his cup on the table and uttered a loud snort. "'Oh, Freddy, darling,' said Jill remorsefully, "'I forgot. Stockbrokers are a painful subject, aren't they?' She turned to Nelly. "'There's been an awful slump in the stock exchange today, and he got—what was the word, Freddy?' "'Nipped,' said Freddy with gloom. "'Nipped.' "'Nipped like the dickens.' "'Nipped like the dickens,' Jill smiled at Nelly. "'He had forgotten all about it in the excitement of being a jailbird, and I went and reminded him.' Freddy sought sympathy from Nelly. A silly ass at the club named Jimmy Monroe told me to take a flutter on some rotten thing called amalgamated dyes. You know how it is when you're feeling devilish fit and cheery and all that after dinner, and somebody sidles up to you and slips his little hand into yours, and tells you to do some fool thing. You're so dashed happy, and you simply say, Right ho, old bird, make it so. That's the way I got had. Jill laughed unfeelingly. 
"'It will do you good, Freddy. "'It'll stir you up and prevent your being so silly again. "'Besides, you know you'll hardly notice it. "'You've much too much money as it is.' "'It's not the money. "'It's the principle of the thing. "'I hate looking a frightful chump.' "'Well, you needn't tell anybody. "'We'll keep it a secret. "'In fact, we'll start at once, for I hear Uncle Chris outside. "'Let us dissemble. "'We are observed. "'Hello, Uncle Chris.' She ran down the room as the door opened, and kissed the tall, soldierly man who entered. "'Well, Jill, my dear.' "'How late you are. I was expecting you hours ago.' "'I had to call on my broker.' "'Hush, hush.' "'What's the matter?' "'Nothing, nothing. We've got visitors. You know Freddy Rook, of course.' "'How are you, Freddy, my boy?' "'Cheerio,' said Freddy. "'Pretty fit.' "'And Miss Bryant?' said Jill. "'How do you do?' said Uncle Chris, in the bluff, genial way, which in his younger days had charmed many a five-pound note out of the pockets of his fellow-men, and many a soft glance out of the eyes of their sisters, their cousins, and their aunts. "'Come and have some tea,' said Jill. "'You're just in time.' "'Tea? Capital!' Nellie had subsided shyly into the depths of her big armchair. Somehow she felt a better and a more important girl since Uncle Chris had addressed her. Most people felt like that after encountering Jill's Uncle Christopher. Uncle Chris had a manner. It was not precisely condescending, and yet it was not the manner of an equal. He treated you as an equal, true, but all the time you were conscious of the fact that it was extraordinarily good of him to do so. Uncle Chris affected the rank and file of his fellow men much as a genial knight of the Middle Ages would have affected a scurvy knave or a varlet if he had cast aside social distinctions for a while and hobnobbed with the latter in a tavern. He never patronized, but the mere fact that he abstained from patronizing seemed somehow impressive. To his impressiveness his appearance contributed largely. He was a fine, upstanding man who looked less than his forty-nine years in spite of an ominous thinning of the hair which he tended and brushed so carefully. He had a firm chin, a mouth that smiled often and pleasantly beneath the closely clipped moustache, and very bright blue eyes which met yours in a clear, frank, honest gaze. Though he had served in his youth in India, he had none of the Anglo-Indian sun-scorched sallowness. His complexion was fresh and sanguine. He looked as if he had just stepped out of a cold tub, a misleading impression, for Uncle Chris detested cold water, and always took his morning bath as hot as he could get it. It was his clothes, however, which, even more than his appearance, fascinated the populace. There is only one tailor in London, as distinguished from the ambitious mechanics who make coats and trousers, and Uncle Chris was his best customer. Similarly, London is full of young fellows trying to get along by the manufacture of footwear, but there is only one bootmaker in the true meaning of the word, the one who supplied Uncle Chris. And as for hats, while it is no doubt a fact that you can get at plenty of London shops some sort of covering for your head which will keep it warm, the only hatter, using the term in its deeper sense, is the man who enjoyed the patronage of Major Christopher Selby. From foot to head, in short, from furthest south to extremest north, Uncle Chris was perfect. He was an ornament to his surroundings. The metropolis looked better for him. One seems to picture London as a mother with a horde of untidy children, children with made-up ties, children with wrinkled coats and baggy trouser legs, sighing to herself as she beheld them, then cheering up and murmuring with a touch of restored complacency, "'Ah, well, I still have Uncle Chris.' "'Miss Bryant is an American, Uncle Chris,' said Jill. 
Uncle Chris spread his shapely legs before the fire and glanced down kindly at Nelly. Indeed? He took a cup of tea and stirred it. I was in America as a young man. Whereabouts? asked Nelly, eagerly. Oh, here and there and everywhere. I traveled considerably. That's how it is with me, said Nelly, overcoming her diffidence as she warmed to the favorite topic. I guess I know most every town in every state from New York to the last one-night stand. It's a great old country, isn't it? It is, said Uncle Chris. I shall be returning there very shortly, he paused meditatively. Very shortly indeed. Nellie bit her lip. It seemed to be her fate today to meet people who were going to America. When did you decide to do that? asked Jill. She had been looking at him puzzled. Years of association with Uncle Chris had enabled her to read his moods quickly, and she was sure that there was something on his mind. It was not likely that the others had noticed it, for his manner was as genial and urbane as ever. But something about him, a look in his eyes that came and went, an occasional quick twitching of his mouth, told her that all was not well. She was a little troubled, but not greatly. Uncle Chris was not the sort of man with whom grave tragedies happened. It was probably some mere trifle which she could smooth out for him in five minutes once they were to alone together. She reached out and patted his sleeve affectionately. She was fonder of Uncle Chris than of anyone in the world except Derek. The thought, said Uncle Chris, came to me this morning as I read my morning paper while breakfasting. It has grown and developed during the day. At this moment you might almost call it an obsession. I am very fond of America. I spent several happy years there. On that occasion I set sail for the land of promise, I admit, somewhat reluctantly. Of my own free will I might never have made the expedition. But the general sentiment seemed so strongly in favor of my doing so that I yielded to what I might call a public demand. The willing hands from my nearest and dearest were behind me, pushing, and I did not resist them. I have never regretted it. America is part of every young man's education. You ought to go there, Freddy. Rummily enough, said Freddy, I was saying just before you came in that I had half a mind to pop over. Only it's rather a bally fag starting, getting your luggage packed and all that sort of thing. Nelly, whose luggage consisted of one small trunk, heaved a silent sigh. Mingling with the idle rich carried its penalties. America, said Uncle Chris, taught me poker, for which I can never be sufficiently grateful. Also an exotic pastime called craps, or alternatively rolling the bones, which in those days was a very present help in time of trouble. At craps I fear my hand in late years has lost much of its cunning. I have had little opportunity of practicing, but as a young man I was no mean exponent of the art. Let me see, said Uncle Chris meditatively. What was the precise ritual? Ah, I have it. Come, little seven. Come, eleven, exclaimed Nelly excitedly. Baby, I feel convinced that in some manner the word baby entered into it. Baby needs shoes. Baby needs new shoes, precisely. It sounds to me, said Freddy, dashed silly. Oh, no, cried Nelly, reproachfully. Well, what I mean is, there's no sense in it, don't you know? It is a noble pursuit, said Uncle Chris firmly, worthy of the great nation that has produced it. No doubt when I return to America I shall have opportunities of recovering my lost skill. You aren't returning to America, said Jill. You're going to stay safe at home like a good little uncle. I'm not going to have you running wild all over the world at your age. 
age declaimed uncle chris what is my age at the present moment i feel in the neighborhood of twenty-one and ambition is tapping me on the shoulder and whispering young man go west the years are slipping away from me my dear jill slipping so quickly that in a few minutes you will be wondering why my nurse does not come to fetch me the wanderlust is upon me i gaze around me at this prosperity in which i am lapped said uncle chris eyeing the armchair severely all this comfort and luxury which swaddles me and i feel staggered i want activity i want to be braced you would hate it said jill composedly you know you're the laziest old darling in the world exactly what i am endeavouring to point out i am lazy or i was till this morning something very extraordinary must have happened this morning i can see that i wallowed in gross comfort i was what shakespeare calls a fat and greasy citizen please uncle chris protested jill not while i'm eating buttered toast but i am myself again that's splendid i have heard the beat of the offshore wind chanted uncle chris and the thresh of the deep sea rain i have heard the song how long how long pull out on the trail again he can also recite gunga din said jill to nelly i really must apologize for all this he's usually as good as gold i believe i know how he feels said nelly softly of course you do you and i miss bryant are of the gypsies of the world we are not vegetables like young rook here eh what said the vegetable waking from her reverie he had been watching nelly's face its wistfulness attracted him we are only happy proceeded uncle chris when we are wandering you should see uncle chris wander to his club in the morning said jill he trudges off in a taxi singing wild gypsy songs absolutely defying fatigue that said uncle chris is a perfectly justified slur i shudder at the depths to which prosperity has caused me to sink he expanded his chest i shall be a different man in america america would make a different man of you freddie i'm all right thanks said that easily satisfied young man uncle chris turned to nelly pointing dramatically young woman go west return to your bracing home and leave this enervating london you nelly got up abruptly she could endure no more i believe i'll have to be going now she said bill misses me if i'm away long good-bye thank you ever so much for what you did it was awfully kind of you to come said jill good-bye major selby good-bye good-bye mr rook freddie awoke from another reverie eh i say half a jiffy i think i may as well be toddling along myself about time i was getting back to dress for dinner and all that see you home may i and then i'll get a taxi at victoria to loo everybody freddie escorted nelly through the hall and opened the front door for her the night was cool and cloudy, and there was still in the air that odd rejuvenating suggestion of spring. A wet fragrance came from the dripping trees. "'Topping evening,' said Freddy, conversationally. "'Yes.' They walked through the square in silence. Freddy shot an appreciative glance at his companion. Freddy, as he would have admitted frankly, was not much of a lad for the modern girl. The modern girl, he considered, was too dashed rowdy and exuberant for a chappie of peaceful tastes. Now this girl, on the other hand, had all the earmarks of being something of a topper. She had a soft voice, rummy accent and all that, but nevertheless a soft and pleasing voice. She was mild and unaggressive, and these were qualities which Freddy esteemed. Freddy, though this was a thing he would not have admitted, was afraid of girls, the sort of girls he had to take down to dinner and dance with, and so forth. 
They were too dashed clever, and always seemed to be waiting for a chance to score off a fellow. This one was not like that. Not a bit. She was gentle and quiet and what not. It was at this point that it came home to him how remarkably quiet she was. She had not said a word for the last five minutes. He was just about to break the silence, when, as they passed under a street lamp, he perceived that she was crying, crying very softly to herself, like a child in the dark. "'Good God!' said Freddy, appalled. There were two things in life with which he felt totally unable to cope, crying girls and dog-fights. The glimpse he had caught of Nellie's face froze him into speechlessness, which lasted until they reached Daubeny Street and stopped at her door. "'Good-bye,' said Nellie. "'Good-bye,' said Freddy, mechanically. "'That is to say, I mean to say, half a second. he added quickly. He faced her nervously, with one hand on the grimy railings. This wanted looking into, when it came to girls trickling to and fro in the public streets weeping, well, it was pretty rotten, something had to be done about it. "'What's up?' he demanded. "'It's nothing. Good-bye.' "'But, my dear soul,' said Freddy, clutching the railing for moral support, "'it is something. It must be. You might not think it to look at me, but I'm really rather a dashed shrewd chap, and I can see that there's something up. Why not give me the jolly old scenario and see if we can't do something?' Nellie moved as if to turn to the door, then stopped. She was thoroughly ashamed of herself. "'I'm a fool.' "'No, no!' "'Yes, I am. I don't often act this way. But, oh, gee, hearing you all talk like that about going to America, just as if it was the easiest thing in the world, only you couldn't be bothered to do it, kind of got me going. And to think I could be there right now if I wasn't a bonehead.' "'A bonehead?' "'A simp. I'm all right as far up as the string of near pearls, but above that I'm reinforced concrete.' Freddy groped for her meaning. "'Do you mean you've made a bloomer of some kind?' i pulled the worst kind of bone. I stopped in London when the rest of the company went back home, and now I've got to stick.' "'Rush of jolly old professional engagements, what?' Nellie laughed bitterly. "'You're a bad guesser. No, they haven't started to fight over me yet. I'm at liberty, as they say, in the era.' "'But, my dear old thing,' said Freddy earnestly, "'if you've nothing to keep you in England, why not pop back to America?' I mean to say, homesickness is the most dashed blighted thing in the world. There's nothing gives one the pip to such an extent. Why, dash it, I remember staying with an old aunt of mine up in Scotland the year before last, and not being able to get away for three weeks or so, and I raved absolutely gibbered for the sight of the merry old metrop. Sometimes I'd wake up in the night, thinking I was back at the Albany, and by Jove, when I found I wasn't, I howled like a dog. You take my tip, old soul, and pop back on the next boat. Which line? How do you mean, which line? Oh, I see you mean, which line? Well, well, I've never been on any of them, so it's rather hard to say. But I hear the Cunard well spoken of, and then again some chappies swear by the White Star. But I should imagine you can't go wrong whichever you pick. They're all pretty ripe, I fancy. Which one of them is giving free trips? That's the point. Eh? Oh! Her meaning dawned on Freddy. He regarded her with deep consternation. Life had treated him so kindly that he had almost forgotten that there existed a class which had not as much money as himself. Sympathy welled up beneath his perfectly fitting waistcoat. It was a purely disinterested sympathy. The fact that Nellie was a girl, and in many respects a dashed pretty girl, did not affect him. What mattered was that she was hard up. The thought hurt Freddy like a blow. He hated the idea of anyone being hard up. "'I say,' he said, "'are you broke?' Nellie laughed. "'Am I?' If dollars were doughnuts, I wouldn't even have the hole in the middle. Freddy was stirred to his depths. 
Except for the beggars in the streets to whom he gave shillings, he had not met anyone for years who had not plenty of money. He had friends at his clubs who frequently claimed to be unable to lay their hands on a bally penny, but the bally penny they wanted to lay their hands on generally turned out to be a couple of thousand pounds for a new car. "'Good God!' he said. There was a pause. Then, with a sudden impulse, he began to fumble in his breast-pocket. Rummy how things worked out for the best, however scaly they might seem at the moment. Only an hour or so ago he had been kicking himself for not having remembered that fifty-pound note tacked on to the lining of his coat, when it would have come in handy at the police station. He now saw that Providence had had the matter well in hand. If he had remembered it and coughed it up to the constabulary then, he wouldn't have had it now. And he needed it now. A mood of quixotic generosity had surged upon him. With swift fingers he jerked the note free from its moorings and displayed it like a conjurer exhibiting a rabbit. "'My dear old thing,' he said, "'I can't stand it. I absolutely cannot stick it at any price. I really must insist upon your trousering this, positively.' Nellie Bryant gazed at the note with wide eyes. She was stunned. She took it limply and looked at it under the dim light of the gas-lamp over the door. "'I couldn't,' she cried. "'Oh, but really, you must.' but this is a fifty pound absolutely it will take you back to new york what you asked which line was giving free trips the freddie rook line by jove sailings every wednesday and saturday i mean what but i can't take two hundred and fifty dollars from you oh rather of course you can there was another pause you'll think nelly's pale face flushed you'll think i told you all about myself just just because i wanted to to make a touch? Absolutely not. Rid yourself of the jolly old supposition entirely. You see before you, old thing, a chappie who knows more about borrowing money than any man in London. I mean to say, I've had my ear bitten more often than anyone, I should think. There are sixty-four ways of making a touch. I've had all of them worked on me by divers, blighters here and there, and I can tell any of them with my eyes shut. I know you weren't dreaming of any such thing. The note crackled musically in Nellie's hand. I don't know what to say. That's all right. I don't see why. Gee, I wish I could tell you what I think of you. Freddy laughed amusedly. Do you know, he said, that's exactly what the beaks, the masters, you know, used to say to me at school. Are you sure you can spare it? Oh, rather. Nellie's eyes shone in the light of the lamp. I've never met anyone like you before. I don't know how. Freddy shuffled nervously. Being thanked always made him feel pretty rotten. "'Well, I think I'll be popping,' he said. "'Got to get back and dress and all that. "'Awfully glad to have seen you and all that sort of rot.' Nellie unlocked the door with her latch-key and stood on the step. "'I'll buy a fur wrap,' she said, half to herself. "'Great wheeze, I should.' "'And some nuts for Bill.' "'Bill?' "'The parrot.' "'Oh, the jolly old parrot. Rather. Well, cheerio. "'Good-bye. You've been awfully good to me.' "'Oh, no,' said Freddy uncomfortably. "'Any time you're passing.' awfully good well good-bye toodaloo maybe we'll meet again some day i hope so absolutely there was a little scurry of feet something warm and soft pressed for an instant against freddy's cheek and as he stumbled back nelly bryant skipped up the steps and vanished through the door good god freddy felt his cheek he was aware of an odd mixture of embarrassment and exhilaration from the area below a slight cough sounded Freddy turned sharply. A maid in a soiled cap, worn coquettishly over one ear, was gazing intently up through the railings. Their eyes met. Freddy turned a warm pink. It seemed to him that the maid had the air of one about to giggle. 
"'Damn!' said Freddy softly, and hurried off down the street. He wondered whether he had made a frightful ass of himself, spraying banknotes all over the place like that to comparative strangers. Then a vision came to him of Nellie's eyes as they had looked at him in the lamplight, and he decided, no, absolutely not. Rummy as the gadget might appear, it had been the right thing to do. It was a binge of which he thoroughly approved. A good egg. 2. Jill, when Freddy and Nellie left the room, had seated herself on a low stool and sat looking thoughtfully into the fire. She was wondering if she had been mistaken in supposing that Uncle Chris was worried about something. This restlessness of his, this desire for movement, was strange in him. Hitherto he had been like a dear old cosy cat, reveling in the comfort which he had just denounced so eloquently. She watched him as he took up his favorite stand in front of the fire. "'Nice girl,' said Uncle Chris. "'Who was she?' "'Somebody Freddy met,' said Jill diplomatically. There was no need to worry Uncle Chris with details of the afternoon's happenings. "'Very nice girl,' Uncle Chris took out his cigar case. "'No need to ask if I may, thank goodness,' he lit a cigar. "'Do you remember, Jill, years ago, when you were quite small, how I used to blow smoke in your face?' Jill smiled. "'Of course I do.' You said that you were training me for marriage. You said that there were no happy marriages except where the wife didn't mind the smell of tobacco. Well, it's lucky, as a matter of fact, for Derek smokes all the time. Uncle Chris took up his favorite stand against the fireplace. You're very fond of Derek, aren't you, Jill? Of course I am. You are too, aren't you? Fine chap. Very fine chap. Plenty of money, too. It's a great relief, said Uncle Chris, puffing vigorously. A thundering relief. He looked over Jill's head down the room. It's fine to think of you happily married, dear, with everything in the world that you want. Uncle Chris's gaze wandered down to where Jill sat. A slight mist affected his eyesight. Jill had provided a solution for the great problem of his life. Marriage had always appalled him, but there was this to be said for it, that married people had daughters. He had always wanted a daughter, a smart girl he could take out and be proud of, and fate had given him Jill at precisely the right age. A child would have bored Uncle Chris. He was fond of children, but they made the deuce of a noise and regarded jam as an external ornament. But a delightful little girl of fourteen was different. Jill and he had been very close to each other since her mother had died, a year after the death of her father, and had left her in his charge. He had watched her grow up with a joy that had a touch of bewilderment in it. She seemed to grow so quickly, and had been fonder and prouder of her at every stage of her tumultuous career. "'You're a dear,' said Jill. She stroked the trouser-leg that was nearest. "'How do you manage to get such a wonderful crease? You really are a credit to me.' There was a momentary silence. A shade of embarrassment made itself noticeable in Uncle Chris's frank gaze. He gave a little cough and pulled at his moustache. "'I wish I were, my dear,' he said, soberly. "'I wish I were. I'm afraid I'm a poor sort of fellow, Jill.' Jill looked up. "'What do you mean?' "'A poor sort of fellow,' repeated Uncle Chris. "'Your mother was foolish to trust you to me. Your father had more sense. He always said I was a wrong un. Jill got up quickly. She was certain now that she had been right, and there was something on her uncle's mind. "'What's the matter, Uncle Chris? Something's happened. What is it?' Uncle Chris turned to knock the ash off his cigar. The movement gave him time to collect himself for what lay before him. 
he had one of those rare volatile natures which can ignore the blows of fate so long as their effects are not brought home by visible evidence of disaster he lived in the moment and though matters had been as bad at breakfast time as they were now it was not till now when he confronted jill that he had found his cheerfulness affected by them he was a man who hated ordeals and one faced him now until this moment he had been able to detach his mind from a state of affairs which would have weighed unceasingly upon another man his mind was a telephone which he could cut off at will when the voice of trouble wished to speak the time would arrive he had been aware when he would have to pay attention to that voice but so far he had refused to listen now it could be evaded no longer jill yes uncle chris paused again searching for the best means of saying what had to be said jill i don't know if you understand about these things but there was what is called a slump on the stock exchange this morning in other words jill laughed of course i know all about that she said poor freddie wouldn't talk about anything else till i made him he was terribly blue when he got here this morning he said he had got nipped in amalgamated dyes he had lost about two hundred pounds and was furious with a friend of his who had told him to buy margins uncle chris cleared his throat jill i'm afraid i've got bad news for you i bought amalgamated dyes too he worried his moustache i lost heavily very heavily how naughty of you you know you oughtn't to gamble jill you must be brave i-i-well the fact is it's no good beating about the bush i lost everything 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 it's all gone all fooled away it's a terrible business the house will have to go but doesn't the house belong to me i was your trustee dear uncle chris smoked furiously thank heaven you're going to marry a rich man jill stood looking at him perplexed money as money had never entered into her life there were things one wanted which had to be paid for with money but uncle chris always looked after that she had taken them for granted i don't understand she said and then suddenly she realized that she did and a great wave of pity for uncle chris flooded over her he was such an old dear it must be horrible for him to have to stand there telling her all this she felt no sense of injury only the discomfort of having to witness the humiliation of her oldest friend uncle chris was bound up inextricably with everything in her life that was pleasant she could remember him looking exactly the same only with a thicker and wavier crop of hair playing with her patiently and unwearied for hours in the hot sun a cheerful martyr she could remember sitting up with him when she came home from her first grown-up dance drinking cocoa and talking and talking and talking till the birds outside sang the sun high up into the sky and it was breakfast time she could remember theatres with him and jolly little suppers afterward expeditions into the country with lunches at queer old inns days on the river days at hurlingham days at lord's days at the academy he had always been the same always cheerful always kind he was uncle chris and he would always be uncle chris whatever he had done or whatever he might do she slipped her arm in his and gave it a squeeze poor old thing she said uncle chris had been looking straight out before him with those fine blue eyes of his there had been just a touch of sternness in his attitude a stranger coming into the room at that moment would have said that there was a girl trying to coax her blunt straightforward military father into some course of action of which his honest nature disapproved he might have been posing for a statue of rectitude as jill spoke he seemed to cave in poor old thing he repeated limply of course you are 
and stop trying to look dignified and tragic because it doesn't suit you you're much too well dressed but my dear you don't understand you haven't realized yes i do yes i have i've spent all your money your money i know what does it matter what does it matter jill don't you hate me as if anyone could hate an old darling like you uncle chris threw away his cigar and put his arms round jill for a moment a dreadful fear came to her that he was going to cry she prayed that he wouldn't cry it would be too awful it would be a memory of which she could never rid herself she felt as though he were someone extraordinarily young and unable to look after himself someone she must soothe and protect jill said uncle chris choking you're 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 a little warrior she kissed him and moved away she busied herself with some flowers her back turned the tension had been relieved and she wanted to give him time to recover his poise she knew him well enough to be sure that sooner or later the resiliency of his nature would assert itself he could never remain long in the depths the silence had the effect of making her think more clearly than in the first rush of pity she had been able to do she was able now to review the matter as it affected herself it had not been easy to grasp the blunt fact that she was penniless that all this comfort which surrounded her was no longer her own for an instant a kind of panic seized her there was a bleakness about the situation which made one gasp it was like icy water dashed in the face realization had almost the physical pain of life returning to a numbed limb her hands shook as she arranged the flowers and she had to bite her lip to keep herself from crying out she fought panic eye to eye and beat it down uncle chris swiftly recovering by the fireplace never knew that the fight had taken place he was feeling quite jovial again now that the unpleasant business of breaking the news was over and was looking on the world with the eye of a debonair gentleman adventurer as far as he was concerned he told himself this was the best thing that could have happened he had been growing old and sluggish in prosperity he needed a fillip the wits by which he had once lived so merrily had been getting blunt in their easy retirement he welcomed the opportunity of matching them once more against the world he was remorseful as regarded jill but the optimist in him never crushed for long told him that jill would be all right she would step from the sinking ship to the safe refuge of derrick underhill's wealth and position while he went out to seek a new life uncle chris's blue eyes gleamed with a new fire as he pictured himself in this new life he felt like a hunter setting out on a hunting expedition there were always adventures and the spoils of war for the man with brains to find them and gather them in but it was a mercy that jill had derrick jill was thinking of derrick too panic had fled and a curious exhilaration had seized upon her if derrick wanted her now it would be because his love was the strongest thing in the world she would come to him like the beggar-maid to Kofichwa. Uncle Chris broke the silence with a cough. At the sound of it, Jill smiled again. She knew it for what it was, a sign that he was himself again. "'Tell me, Uncle Chris,' she said, "'just how bad is it? When you said everything was gone, did you really mean everything, or were you being melodramatic? Exactly how do we stand?' "'It's dashed hard to say, my dear.' i expect we shall find that there are a few hundreds left enough to see you through till you get married after that it won't matter uncle chris flicked a particle of dust off his coat sleeve jill could not help feeling that the action was symbolical of his attitude toward life he nicked away life's problems with just the same airy carelessness 
"'You mustn't worry about me, my dear. I shall be all right. I have made my way in the world before, and I can do it again. I shall go to America and try my luck there. Amazing how many opportunities there are in America. Really, as far as I am concerned, this is the best thing that could have happened. I have been getting abominably lazy. If I had gone on living my present life for another year or two, why, dash it, I honestly believe I should have succumbed to some sort of senile decay.' positively i have got fatty degeneration of the brain this will be the making of me jill sat down on the lounge and laughed till there were tears in her eyes uncle chris might be responsible for this disaster but he was certainly making it endurable however greatly he might be deserving of censure from the standpoint of the sterner morality he made amends if he brought the whole world crashing in chaos about one's ears at least he helped one to smile among the ruins did you ever read candide uncle chris candide uncle chris shook his head he was not a great reader except of the sporting press it's a book by voltaire there's a character in it called dr pangloss who thought that everything was for the best in this best of all possible worlds uncle chris felt a touch of embarrassment it occurred to him that he had been betrayed by his mercurial temperament into an attitude which considering the circumstances was perhaps a trifle too jubilant he gave his moustache a pull and reverted to the minor key oh you mustn't think that i don't appreciate the terrible the criminal thing i have done i blame myself said uncle chris cordially nicking another speck of dust off his sleeve i blame myself bitterly your mother ought never to have made me your trustee my dear but she always believed in me in spite of everything and this is how i have repaid her he blew his nose to cover a not unmanly emotion i wasn't fitted for the position never become a trustee jill it's the devil is trust money however much you argue with yourself you can't dash it you simply can't believe that it's not your own to do as you like with there it sits smiling at you crying spend me spend me and you find yourself dipping dipping till one day there's nothing left to dip for only a far-off rustling the ghosts of dead banknotes that's how it was with me the process was almost automatic i hardly knew it was going on here a little there a little it was like snow melting on a mountain top and one morning all gone uncle chris drove the point home with a gesture i did what i could when i found that there were only a few hundreds left for your sake i took a chance all heart and no head there you have christopher selby in a nutshell a man at the club a fool named i've forgotten his damn name recommended amalgamated dye-stuffs as a speculation monroe that was his name jimmy monroe he talked about the future of british dyes now that germany was out of the race and well the long and short of it was that i took his advice and bought on margin bought like the devil and this morning amalgamated dye-stuffs went all to blazes there you have the whole story and now said jill comes the sequel the sequel said uncle chris breezily happiness my dear happiness wedding bells and all that sort of thing he straddled the hearth-rug manfully and swelled his chest out he would permit no pessimism on this occasion of rejoicing you don't suppose that the fact of your having lost your money that is to say er of my having lost your money will affect a splendid young fellow like derrick underhill i know him better than to think that i've always liked him he's a man you can trust besides he added reflectively there's no need to tell him till after the wedding i mean it won't be hard to keep up appearances here for a month or so of course we must tell him you think it wise i don't know about it being wise it's the only thing to do i must see him to-night 
oh i forgot he was going away this afternoon for a day or two capital it will give you time to think it over i don't want to think it over there's nothing to think about of course yes of course quite so i shall write him a letter right eh it's easier to put what one wants to say in a letter letters began uncle chris and stopped as the door opened jane the parlour-maid entered carrying a salver for me asked uncle chris for miss jill sir jill took the note off the salver it's from derrick there's a messenger boy waiting miss said jane he wasn't told if there was an answer if the note is from derrick said uncle chris it's not likely to want an answer you said he left town to-day jill opened the envelope is there an answer miss asked jane after what she considered a suitable interval she spoke tenderly she was a great admirer of derrick and considered it a pretty action on his part to send notes like this when he was compelled to leave london any answer jill jill seemed to rouse herself she had turned oddly pale no no answer jane thank you miss said jane and went off to tell the cook that in her opinion jill was lacking in heart it might have been a bill instead of a love-letter said jane to the cook with indignation the way she read it i like people to have a little feeling jill sat turning the letter over and over in her fingers her face was very white there seemed to be a big heavy leaden something inside her a cold hand clutched her throat uncle chris who at first had noticed nothing untoward now began to find the silence sinister no bad news i hope dear jill turned the letter between her fingers jill is it bad news derrick has broken off the engagement said jill in a dull voice she let the note fall to the floor and sat with her chin in her hands what uncle chris leaped from the hearth-rug as though the fire had suddenly scorched him what did you say he's broken it off the hound cried uncle chris the blackguard the the i never liked the man i never trusted him he fumed for a moment but but it isn't possible how could he have heard about what's happened he couldn't know it's it's it isn't possible he doesn't know it has nothing to do with that but uncle chris stooped to where the note lay may i yes you can read it if you like uncle chris produced a pair of reading glasses and glared through them at the sheet of paper as though it were some loathsome insect the hound the cad if i were a younger man shouted uncle chris smiting the letter violently if i were jill my dear little jill he plunged down on his knees beside her as she buried her face in her hands and began to sob my dear little girl damn that man my dear little girl the cad the devil my own darling little girl i'll thrash him with an inch of his life the clock on the mantelpiece ticked away the minutes jill got up her face was wet and quivering but her mouth had set in a brave line jill dear she let his hand close over hers everything's happening all at once this afternoon uncle chris isn't it she smiled a twisted smile you look so funny your hair's all rumpled and your glasses are over on one side uncle chris breathed heavily through his nose when i meet that man he began portentously oh what's the good of bothering it's not worth it nothing's worth it jill stopped and faced him her hands clenched let's get away let's get right away i want to get right away uncle chris take me away anywhere take me to america with you i must get away uncle chris raised his right hand and shook it his reading-glasses hanging from his left ear bobbed drunkenly we'll sail by the next boat the very next boat damn it 
I'll take care of you, dear. I've been a blackguard to you, my little girl. I've robbed you and swindled you, but I'll make up for it, by George. I'll make up for it. I'll give you a new home as good as this, if I die for it. There's nothing I won't do. Nothing, by Jove, shouted Uncle Chris, raising his voice in a red-hot frenzy of emotion. I'll work. Yes, by gad, if it comes right down to it, I'll work. He brought his fist down with a crash on the table where Derek's flowers stood in their bowl. The bowl leaped in the air and tumbled over, scattering the flowers on the floor. End of chapter 6 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California Shaggybark.blogspot.com